1: podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Wednesday, October 7th. Semi-finals now set for this 2020 French Open. And the opening question I have for our co-host today, you of course know him as our Crack Rackets Do Everything, a former Denison men's tennis great. He's undefeated as a coach. He's a forehand slice aficionado. My first question for you, James Foster McDonald, let's just get right into it. Which slam produced the more surprising semifinal the U.S. Open or the French Open?
0: I think the answer has got to be the U.S. Open simply because at least on the men's side right Djokovic not in the picture Um, and so I think that to me is a huge one on the women's side this one incredibly uh, surprising right because Halep's not there you see some seeds go down we end up with two seeds clashing you know in Kvitova and Kennan and then none on the other side it's odd I I will say that but I I still think U.S. Open for the men's but If I can split it, let's say French Open for the women's.
1: No, it's fair. Definitely, if you want to apply some nuance to split it, I would agree with you there because you look at the U.S. Open for the women. Brady, she won in Lexington. Osaka, Vika, they made the finals of Western Southern. And then Serena, you never count out Serena. So really, and I think someone commented on this because I tweeted out a poll, and right now it's 56% French Open, 25% U.S. Open, you know, about 20% split between both surprising and neither are surprising. But what this really comes down to is, are you more surprised? to see Iga Sviantek and Nadia Podoroska in the French Open semifinals than you were to not see Novak Djokovic in the U.S. Open semifinals. I also think there was a little bit of uh, more uh, willingness or perhaps more preparation from all of us tennis fans to expect a little bit of chaos given how the rush back to tennis so many of these players on the men's side we hadn't seen in so long so we expected things in New York to get funky but look you look at our semifinal matchups here in in France Siantek versus Podoroska Kennen versus Kvitova for the women for the men Djokovic versus Tsitsipas Nadal versus Schwartzman of course we've talked these past 2 weeks day in day out here on the mini break about how we've gotten to this moment but you know again now that the field is set Jamie what are your thoughts
0: Look it's fun right I mean this is exactly what we've come to know on the women's side let's start there first I mean just because it's chaos right nobody knows who's going to come up with this and You know, you look at the four last standing and you're like, yeah, okay, I can justify those. I mean, I don't think many people had Podoroska still in there, but you you talk about the level of play that these players have exhibited. And you're like, yeah, okay, I can explain that. But did anybody have this combination from the outset? Probably not. Um, So it's just a lot of fun. Right. And then on the men's side, I think you see you see some phenomenal clay players. You see one who probably was expected to go all the way to the semis and Dominic team who fell a little bit short. To another guy who's phenomenal on the clay and Diego Schwartzman, no surprise, Nadal coming out of the bottom and Djokovic coming out of the top. So really, it's just who's left. And Tsitsipas seems to fill that role, you know, just with his really ascent through the rankings. Um, and so, look, it is what it is at this point, but not terribly surprising on the men's, women's much more so.
1: Yeah, to start with the women's, look, we talked coming into this, honestly, this applies to both the men and the women. Momentum and confidence were going to be two of the most important things as a quality for players to have coming into uh, whatever part of the 2020 resumption of the tour season we were going to see. And for Podoroska, she was 42-6 and in matches in 2020, clearly has played a bunch of tennis and has a lot of success doing so. For Sophia Kennan, she was the 2020 Australian Open Women's Champion. And what's so impressive for Kennan is just how she continues to to do it across surfaces, how she may not play her best tennis. She's maybe only played one match of her best tennis, and yet, you know, she continues to find ways to earn victories. In fact, you look for Kennan's path, and I talked about this on today's GSP Ace of the Day. Four of her five matches have been three set wins. That epitomizes where we're at right now in women's tennis. All of these matches are going to be close. It doesn't matter if you're a top seed. It doesn't matter if you're the 60th player in the world. The margins between these players right now are so thin. On the men's side, you know, yeah, we've talked about it. The best is anyone who said Stefano Tsitsipas, oh, is he going to be able to come back mentally from blowing that lead to Borna George? What an inflection point in his career. Is it possible there's no way he's going to bounce back? Does he need to separate with his coaches? Is there too much of his dad in his tennis life? And just like to that, it's like, Like, he makes the Hamburg final, now he's in the semifinals here, and again, we see Schwartzman epitomizes the momentum, goes from the Rome final to the semifinals here, he'll get Nadal again, and I know we all expected to see Nadal and Djokovic, but I am thrilled with this semifinal field, Jamie.
0: Yeah, right, it feels very deserved, so going to be a ton of fun, and and those who came through the quarters absolutely deserve to do so.
1: Yeah, and we are going to talk about how this field was set. Our second half of quarterfinal action uh, seen today on Wednesday. A couple of great matches. We had one three-setter, one four-setter, but still uh, obviously a surprising result in Paz Rublev, and then Petra Kvitova just continuing to do her thing. We're going to break down all four of those matches on today's podcast. Of course, then we will preview tomorrow's women's semifinals, talk a little bit of challenger tennis, talk a little bit about my GSP Aces of the Day at the end. Of course, the reason we're able to do that day in, day out here on this mini break podcast is because of the support we get from our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar. Jamie, quick question for you. You change seasons, right? Or we change seasons. It's fall to winter. Do you string your rackets tighter?
0: Uh, A little bit, usually, but honestly, I've been trying to move back to tighter regardless, just ever since I've gotten back into hitting more consistently, because my arm was so bad in college, I was using the softest string I could find, and stringing it like 42, so regardless of the season, (laughs) I was trying to bring it back up and up, but yeah, now that you're no longer playing in the 90-degree Kansas City, whatever, Midwest heat, um, it's better. We're moving indoors, um, trying, you know, things don't have to be quite as tight, so hopefully the ball's not flying on me, but yeah, I'll probably tighten the strings up a bit.
1: Yeah, no. And if that is something, should you be tightening your strings? Is that a concept you are not familiar with? What should you be doing for your equipment to get the most out of your game during the changes of season? Rest assured, the f- staff at Midwest Sports can lead you in the dire- right direction. They've got everything from rackets, you know, clothing, any sort of gear you may need to help accentuate the finer features of your tennis game. They've got it. So go to MidwestSports.com, use that promo code CR15. Of course, our friends at Aerobar also trying to ensure that you come on the court and You get the energy boost you need. Your nutrition is in the right place for you to bring out your best performance. You go to aerobar.com right now. You use our promo code CRACK15. You'll get fifteen percent off your order. Of course, we've got another exceptional episode of our Getting to the Point podcast where we focus on the importance of nutrition and health in the uh, nutrition and fitness. It's two days in a row. Hey, great shot to me in modern tennis. Of that episode, you can hear tomorrow or I suppose today, Thursday, whenever you listen to this on the Crack Interviews Podcast. So be on the lookout for that. And again, go to aerobar.com, use the promo code CRACKED15. All right, with that in mind, let's get into our quarterfinal breakdowns, and we're going to do this chronologically. Might as well start off this podcast where we started off today's action in Paris. Petra Kvitova, who we spent a full segment on, Jamie, on our Good Take, Bad Take, Hot Take show, which hopefully you all saw either on the GSP feed or on our YouTube channel, we talked about her story. We all know she's a two-time Grand Slam champion. She was a finalist at the Australian Open in 2019, and for her to make that final after what happened to her at the end of 2016, a lunatic breaks into her house and obviously injures her severely. And we talked about that story. But you know, we've also talked about all week long how exceptional her tennis has been, and for Petra Kvitova now, who I believe reaches the first French Open semifinal of her career, if not the first, the second, but most impressively. Jamie she's done it without dropping a set
0: yeah she's done it without dropping a set and she's looked really good right she's had mostly clean performances there's a a few hiccups um, and a few sets as anybody will have but for the most part, it's just been rock solid, and that really didn't stop today. A fairly convincing win over Siegmund. Um, I will say this, though. Kvitova, yet to play a seed, right? She hasn't dropped a set, but she has not played a seeded player. And the fact that she's gotten all the way to the semis without playing a seed is pretty insane. So at this point, I think she's set up for a much bigger challenge in Sofia Kennan than she's seen throughout the rest of the tournament.
1: No, there's no dying, denying that. She's been the beneficiary of all of the madness we have seen in terms of upsets. But you can only play who shows up across the net from you. And obviously, wins over Dodan, Paulini, Leila Fernandez, Zhang Shui to get to the second week. Uh, that's, you know, th- those are all good wins. Those are all players in that, you know— uh, category of on any given day they can beat you whether you're ranked 10 in the world 15 it doesn't really matter but you look for Petrakova and we've talked about this as well early on in the week it was the conditions it was how hard it was for any of these players to hit through these courts to find winners Petrakova is doing that in spades in this match 22 winners against 15 unforced errors she only makes 57 percent of her first serves but seventy one win 77 uh, percent win percentage excuse me on those first serve points she she wins 52% of her second serve points. She holds Siegmund to 6 of 19 on second serve points, and Siegmund only comes to the net one time. What this shows me, Jamie, and it's, if you watch the match, you saw this as well, Petra Kvitova right now is just playing such good sh- uh, first strike tennis, and on a clay court, if you can control the rhythm of the point, if you can control the momentum, the direction, uh, and you have the power of Petra Kvitova, it's going to be really hard for any of these players to beat her because she does possess that overwhelming power where she can just hate you off a of court.
0: Yeah look, I mean, you you mentioned that the key word here, right, is control, and Kvitova had control of every point, um, and she had control of this match, right, seemingly start to finish, and so a really, again, a clean performance from her. You mentioned that second serve. uh, The opportunities that she created on Siegmund's second serve's phenomenal, and and she's going to have to keep doing that regardless of who her opponent is, is keep attacking that opponent's second serve, because if she can get those clean first strikes, those opportunities to start the point, right, she's going to continue to break, and, and we know with her serve, holding serve should be something that she can do consistently regardless of the surface. So, again, great stuff from Kvitova, and I don't see this sort of style of hers, you know, running out, right? Again, she's going to have a harder challenge in Sofia Kennan, but the fact remains she's going to continue to get good looks off of second serves. And if she's hitting her spots and dictating off of that, I mean, she's gonna she's going to continue to cause complete pressure on her opponent all the way to the end of this thing.
1: Yeah, what you'd love for Petra Kvitova, who never wants to play a track meet sort of match. She wants to play big. She wants to go for her targets. And, you know, win or lose, she wants the match to be on her racket. And in this rally, she did such a good job of, you know, minimizing the opportunity for Sigaman to extend rallies, whether it be changing direction, going down the line, or as we mentioned, you know, she had success moving forward today. You look at the stats, 9 of 14 at the net. But I don't think that indicates how much pressure she was putting on Siegmund with her ground strokes, you know she hit plenty more she hit more than 14 approach shots is what i will say but you know in a match that was 98 total points only 7 of them featured rallies over nine shots, only 28 of them, which really isn't that much, went over five shots as well. Kvitova was just in control. You talked about it. It Literally, she was in command of this match from start to finish, and obviously she plays her first seed in Sofia Kennan, but just the way Petra Kvitova has been serving, you know, the, the dominance on the first serve, uh, she's a really tough out, and I mean, she could. It, it, the fact that Petra Kvitova could end up with a French Open title is just baffling to me.
0: Yeah, look, I mean, it, Kvitova, you, you know, you, she's made runs here before, right? She made it to the semis back in what I believe it was, uh, 2012. And so, you know, obviously the French Open, not her preferred place, right? This isn't the surface that we see her best tennis. You know, we think of the fast, hard court and the grass that she's so good on. But again, we've said it a million times, when you have this big you know you have this arsenal you have this weaponry you know you can hit through people on courts even like this under these conditions so again i think she's going to get a lot of looks Kennan is going to give her chances uh, to attack, right? She's going to continue to attack that second serve. We saw it in that Kennan match today against Collins, where Collins was able to apply quite a bit of pressure on that second serve as Kennan won under 50% of her second serve points. So Kvitova is going to continue to have those looks, and Kennan's going to have to really tighten things up and not allow Kvitova to just run away and dictate the whole time.
1: Yeah, look, Kvitova's won 37, or made 37 finals in her career. Only six of them have been on clay. Now she has won five clay court titles, but, you know, yeah, it just, this is not the surface she's had the most success on in her career. 67 win percentage on it. Obviously, uh, you know, that's still phenomenal, but, and the same as her hard courts, but she's done that in fewer than a third of the matches she's played on hard courts. And yeah, you're absolutely right. It's the power she plays with, and look, 57% of first serve percentage isn't going to cut it, because Siegmund, I would say her direction on the return, her placement, not going to be as precise as, you know, the depth isn't as biting as the depth of a Sofia Kennan return, and then what Sofia Kennan does with that second ball, but credit to Patrick Avitova who just looks so comfortable, so in command, and then, you know, we talk about this all the time, but tennis, you know, as much, really half the game is what's going on in a player's head, how confident are you, how freely are you swinging, and obviously, so much of Petra success Predicated on swinging freely. That's exactly what she's done all tournament long. And so obviously we are all looking forward to seeing her battle against Sophia Kennan, who was another winner today in our second semifinal on the day she took on fellow American Danielle Collins, who she had never beaten nor taken a set on coming into this match. Kennan 0-3 against her fellow American. But in this one, Sophia Kennan took control in the first set. Now, of course, Collins is going to Collins. She you know, is, she just has such a powerful game. When she's clicking, it doesn't really matter who you are. But Kenan in command of this one, I'd say, Jamie, from start to finish, she takes a 6-4-4-6-6 love victory over Collins to advance to another Grand Slam semifinal. And again, What's so amazing about this run for Sophia Kennan to the semifinals, maybe once this entire tournament has she played a good match from start to finish, yet she just can do so many different things. It is always a pleasure, and just for the next 10 years, I'm going to enjoy watching Sophia Kennan play.
0: Yeah, and and let's get back to what you said real quick. You said that she was in control this match from start to finish. I, I don't know if that's true. I mean, Obviously, Collins grabs that second set. Kenan seemed to be wrangling uh, the control of it away, but it was a tug. Of, it was a tug of war back and forth, right? Kenan breaks to get up three-two, then Collins breaks right back to get three-all. Then Collins holds, right? So that that second yeah. set was a complete battle. So I don't think Kenan was in control of it the whole time, but toward the end, yeah, I mean, Kenan just ran away with this match. So for me, a little bit disappointing to see Danielle Collins really just run out of steam and Kenan just steamroller uh, on the opposite side of this in the third set. But regardless, this is a great thing for Sophia Kennan and, and really impressive for me to see is like, hey, you lose that second set and what do you do? You bounce back even stronger and, and send a message with that third set win. So she's going to be feeling really good going into the semis from here.
1: Yeah, well, again, hey, great chat to us because we talked about this yesterday. We thought this one was going to go the distance and, you know, Hey, I know I, according to you, I don't boast, but I said I, what I worry about for Collins is will the tank be empty given it was a three-set battle against Shabur yesterday. She's got to play Kennan now the next day. I don't want to say the tank was empty, but you know, when I say Sophia Kennan was in control from start to finish, what I mean is she was just able to get into her stuff, right? Her patterns, whether it be the backhand down the line to open up the short angle backhand cross court, whether it be the slice down the line to open up a forehand for herself inside in, inside out whether it be the swinging volleys. And you look in this match for Sophia Kennan, she's 8 of 15 at the net versus... Uh, but, I, but I don't think that counts, you know, the time she was pushing forward. And by the way, for Danielle Collins in this match, 15 of 27 at the net, that was a fantastic wrinkle from Danielle Collins. And the collins Elmagro partnership is one that I think we're all going to very much enjoy moving forward. But to get back to Kennan, you know, she made 65% of her first serve. She won 75% of those points. Now, of course, those numbers are boosted by at number three but you know 38 winners against 26 unforced errors what Danielle Collins does on her best days is she just takes away what you want to do right because she's hitting blistering forehands and backhands and just you're worrying about staying alive in the rally let alone trying to get into your patterns your plays but it felt like in this match Kennan was able to assert herself in a way that I wasn't sure she was going to be able to
0: yeah, no. I, I look, it was a fun one. I do want to go back to that Almagro tidbit for you know. Look, we have time, right? There's only four matches, sure. so we can go on random tangents here. But what do you think? What do you think that decision was like to go out and get a guy like Almagro? I mean, I think you can see par- you can see parallels between the games, right? Really comfortable doing the power from the baseline and just using those gr- ground strokes so effectively. But how do you think that went going out to find Almagro?
1: I would love to know how these pairings are formed because I feel like if you're like, does the player pitch the former player? Does the former player say, Hey, I'm thinking about getting into coaching and yours is just a game that jumps out to me because I would love if that's how it works. If these players are all so dead, they just love the tour. They love the film. They're like, Hey, you know, my entire career, I was actually really, I really admired the way you played. And I think I can help you get to the next level. If that's the attitude for these players, that means tennis is in a really healthy place, but it's a good question. Like, I don't know. I If I'm a player, you know, do I approach – you know, like, I'm trying to think what form – like, if you're Alex Virev, like, a, he approached David Ferrer. And I think that's brilliant because David Ferrer epitomizes everything you would like Alex Virev to become, you know, mentally and in terms of tactics on the court, just the relentlessness. Virev has the physical traits where if he just was a relentless competitor, look out ATP tour. But, yeah, all of these pairings, like, I'm trying to think, if you're Tomas Burdich, are you like, hey, Karolina Pliskova, like, we kind of play pretty similarly, we're both a little bit stiff, we both have these huge ground strokes, let me help you rein it in, let me help you maximize what you do well, like, I don't know, I, I'm happy to create some ideal pairings, but I, that's a really good question.
0: Yeah, maybe that's hey, that's a good uh, that's a good idea for us. Let's let's just sort of speak some of these pairings into existence and see if, see what we can make happen. But no, that, it's just, that's it's,
1: a po- that's <laughs> a podcast, right? Where we do exactly. ideal coach. Yeah, I'm writing that down.
0: All right, we'll uh, we'll, we'll keep that. We'll store that away for future use when things get a little uh, less hectic. You know, maybe outside of a French Open or something. But no, regardless, a really interesting pairing, and, and obviously hoping um, to see Almagro bring some awesome stuff to the table for her. You know, he of course, understands how to be an aggressive baseliner on the clay. So, you know, maybe that helps her in this run, this deep run at the French, but regardless, really excited to see where that pairing goes from here.
1: No, that is prime coronavirus content. That's like, oh, there's no tennis for five and a half months. Let's do ideal coach player pairing. So yeah, that one's going into the queue. But yeah, again, for Sophia Kennan, it's that she did the little things well. That's you know, that's what you always like to see sixty-five percent first serve percentage to win seventy five percent of those points to hold Collins to thirty six percent on her own second serve points, an efficient five of nine on break points. Yeah. Uh Sophia Kennan, you know, starting to play better and better throughout This event and it's going to be a really fun matchup to watch her take on Petra Kvitova, and we'll talk about that uh, at the end of this podcast when we preview Thursday's matches. But let's flip gears now. Let's go to the men's side, and again, we're going to stick chronologically. Let's talk about the match we thought was going to be the headliner of the day, the blockbuster, the five-set thriller, the one that has us playing tennis until one a.m. again into the Paris night. Of course, that was not. What ended up happening in the Hamburg final rematch between Stefano Tsitsipas and Andre Rublev. Stefano Tsitsipas simply sensational today in securing his straight set win 7-5, 6-2, 6-3 over Andre Rublev. Let's start here, Jamie. Rublev serves up 5-4 for that first set. If he holds to secure this set, is this match completely different? Or do you think Tsitsipas was just on a level today where this result was, you know, just it was always it was never in doubt
0: yeah, I think Sitsipas still would have won four. Um, when you ask it like that, again, sure things may have changed a bit mentally for Rublev, but you know my prediction for this match was Sitsipas and four. So I was a little surprised to see Rublev sort of crumble at the end of that first set. Obviously, credit to Stefanos for really doing the right things and, and stepping up in the big moments. But yeah, this was a little more one-sided than I expected it to be. And, and I know you had Rublev going in, and look, it's 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 an interesting matchup. I think Sitsipas did a, a lot of things really well. He made some adjustments, right? You, you have that nice advantage of the fact that you just played the guy. So you know what little tweaks you're going to want to make going into this. And sure. Rublev, you know, had some chances, but for the most part, you know, after that first set, Sitsipas did a great job of keeping the door shut overall. He kept control of these rallies, played a really clean offensive game, right? He only, he only hit 17 unforced errors across the entire match. And, and the fact is when you're doing that while attacking as often as he was,
1: got your happy price price line city pass was phenomenal today, and you look at the stats, again, 64% per, uh, of his first serves go in. He's 43 of 54 on those points, 80%. Uh, he's 61% on his second serve, 16 of 17 at the net today. He was outstanding in playing plus one tennis, but even better than that, his discipline today, we talked about it yesterday, I thought Rublev was going to be able to target the Tsitsipas backhand. That was not the case. Tsitsipas dictating with that backhand side so well, changing directions well also. I cool. And you could just kind of see in that 5-4 game, he locked in in a way physically that I don't think we've seen from Pass yet. And it's worth remembering, he's what, 22 years old at this point? He's only going to further develop into that 6-4 frame and just the way he was taking balls early, the way he was taking balls down the line, the way, you know, the moment the match became chaotic, the moment the match became read and react and the ball was changing direction, it was going to the outer third, Pass was just incomplete Command. You could tell that's why Rublev kept driving that backhand cross court because the moment, you know, he didn't want to go down the line because the moment Sitsipas was on the move, he started just creating these angles and opening up the court for himself and moving forward. And I've never seen anyone do that to Andre Rublev who obviously hit such a heavy ball, but just from, you know, 5-4 through the end of, the, in the first set, through the end of the match, Sitsipas was just in a command in a way I have never seen him before.
0: Yeah, look, I I think we've seen matches where he's done this, right? He's made deep runs in majors before. Obviously, this is his deepest one here, but But not like this. I, I mean, yeah, it was a convincing win. I also don't think we got the best in Andre Rublev, but no, I mean, look, Sitsipas did a great job of—you mentioned it—creating points that weren't just straight-up baseline rallies, right? I mean, he did a phenomenal job of making things odd and uncomfortable for Andre Rublev, and, and that's what you have to do, right? If things can't just be a simple lateral movement sort of match, and look, I, I will say Paul Anacone hit the nail on the head for this one when he was talking about what needed to happen in this match, and Sitsipas it was about you know making them making the match. Match, you know, more dynamic, less just that lateral movement across the baseline. He did that and attacked the second serve really well. And he did that, right? He held Rublev to only 38% of points on his second serve. So, just really good stuff from Sitsi and, and especially given what we saw in the Djokovic match today, I'm, I'm even more excited for that semifinal matchup now.
1: Look, I know he won the next-gen finals, and that was obviously impressive. And he followed that up by beating Roger Federer and making the Australian Open semifinals, and that was obviously impressive. And then, of course, he won the year-end championships, and that was obviously phenomenal. But I have never seen him assert his will physically in a match like he did today against Andre Rublev over the course of three sets. And, you know, again, for Rublev, what was so frustrating in 6 of 17 at the net, that actually is too kind to him because in each of... In the first set, when he got broken at 5-4, when he got broken at 5-6. In the second set, when he got broken, whether it was 3-2, I don't remember the exact score he got broken on. Uh, Same thing happened in the third set. Each time he got broken, there was a point, whether it was a 15-30, a 15-love, a 30-all point, where he would open up the court for himself, where he would pull the trigger inside-in forehand, down-the-line forehand, following the the down-the-line you have this open court to hit with. And just so many times, he fluffed that first Volley or just let it sit up. And where CC Pass's command comes in is just CT Pass was on top of that ball. Immediately. And he, that if you gave CT Pass two looks at a passing shot in this match, the second pass was a winner. Just guaranteed. It didn't matter if it was the forehand side, the backhand side. And yeah, you know, we've seen Andre Rublev play better than this, but you could just see it on Rublev's face, you know, really midway through that second set. He looks at his box and he's just like, what am I supposed to do? And that was just because, you know, Rublev was 25 winners against 23 unforced errors in this match. He wasn't bad. CT Pass was just too good.
0: Yeah, I mean, simply put, he got outplayed, right? The better player won today, and it is what it is. Again, I think it's more promising for me in the semis. I like the Pass matchup against Djokovic more so than the Rublev one. Um, So for me, it it makes it a little more fun there. But, I mean, yeah, Pass just a level above Andre Rublev today, and five seed moves on.
1: He won 11 more short, 0-4 uh, to four short rallies. He won 15 more medium rallies. He won four more long rallies. Yeah, Pass from top to bottom. Uh, just a phenomenal performance. And again, he now reaches his second career Grand Slam semifinal. believe the youngest to reach the semifinals at the French Open uh, since Juan Martin Del Potro did it. Of course, that's always good company to join. And now he'll get the ultimate challenge. He's going to take on Novak Djokovic, the number one seeded Djokovic, a four-set winner, 4-6, four, 6-2. Six, six, Six three six four over the man who was also on the court for his only loss of this 2020 season, Pablo Carreno Busta. Jamie, I know you are happy. Carreno Busta was able to take this two four sets. Did this match look like you anticipated it to look?
0: Yeah, I mean, this honestly, this looked very similar to how I thought it would go. I think a lot of people were talking about how, oh, Djokovic just looks so good, he's going to blow him out. And, and I just didn't think that was going to be the case. And so I was I was uh, happy to see that at least something of mine came true, right? It was, in <laughs> fact, a, a good match. And Karena Busta frustrated Djokovic. He really did. He, he made him upset. Obviously, we see Djokovic blow up and, and do random things on the court all the time. But in this case, I mean, Karena Busta comes out, wins the first set, and this was a tight contest all the way through. Yeah, there were a couple sets where you know Djokovic really was in good form and you know didn't allow Karina Busta to really uh, open anything up, right? Especially in set number two, Djokovic did a great job of bouncing back after dropping the opening one, but. It was a battle through and through, right? Both of these guys created 13 break opportunities for for, um, for themselves. Obviously, Djokovic converting six to Karina Boost is three, so that's where the difference comes in. But overall, this was a really tight match.
1: Yeah, no, I mean... Look, for Carino Busta, it was just so impressive for him how difficult it was for Novak Djokovic to hurt PCB, and, you know, we saw it throughout this match, and it's worth noting because we both believe Novak Djokovic is very capable of winning this event. He was dealing with neck issues, shoulder issues, doing his Djokovic thing, and after the match, Pablo Carino Busta, uh, when asked about the Djokovic medical timeouts, was just like, yeah, that's what you expect when you play Djokovic. He plays those games all the time. Now, I'm paraphrasing there, but it was a spicy answer, and... You know, again... Cereno Busta limited his errors. He did not beat himself, and so often we see players pressing against the Djokovic's, the Nadals of the world, and they just end up beating themselves. That was not the case in this one. Cereno Busta 42 winners against 49, uh, 29, excuse me, unforced errors. So he's plus 13. Djokovic 53 winners against 41 unforced errors. And you know, again, for Krano Busta, what do you have to do when you play Novak Djokovic? You have to make a high percentage of your first serves. PCB makes 70 percent of them. He wins. Sixty-four percent of those second of those first serve points. He's an efficient nineteen of thirty at the net, and he creates thirteen break point chances for himself. Uh, But ultimately, Novak Djokovic is going to Novak Djokovic, whether it's tracking down that extra ball, throwing up that extra bump lob that draws the error, throwing in that drop shot that you just get so frustrated at, and then, of course, he's just going to lob it over your head to pile on. And, you know, it wasn't the best Novak Djokovic performance, and yet he finds himself through in four sets, Jamie. And, of course, for him, ultimately, all that matters is putting himself in a position to be in the final.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look. This is at the end of the day, regardless of how it happened, Djokovic in the semis of the French, exactly how we expected him to. He drops a set to some people's surprise uh, in this one, but it's the number one seed. I don't think it was in much doubt, um, barring something weird like it happened at the U.S. Open that he was going to make it to this stage. I will say one more thing on Karina Busta. I mean, he's got to feel. Really good about his game at this point. He has been he has been so solid. I, I know you and I talked about this in the New York swing, talking about, oh, look at his hardcore performances. Yes, he's become a household name to come deep in these big sort of tournaments, but really glad to see that performance and that momentum carry over because getting to the quarters and then showing up for a performance like this, really good stuff from the Spaniard.
1: Yeah, this is off the top of my head, and there may be a name or two missing, but I'm pretty sure the only four guys who have made multiple quarterfinals at the Slams in 2020 are Djokovic, Nadal, Zverev, Team, and Pablo Carreño Busta. Or, excuse me, the five guys. And so you know, that's a nice list. That's nice company to join. He has been that good. He pushed Djokovic physically. And I actually think this is probably a really good thing for Novak Djokovic to be pushed in this way. You know, it's the first set he's dropped in the tournament. And of course, it's always fun when we can say our top seeds made it to the finals without dropping a set. But sometimes it's good to be tested. And certainly Djokovic was tested in this one physically. He, you know, did lock in mentally, started making that extra ball, started being a little bit more patient, not just turning to the drop shot immediately I think he's got really good command of his forehand right now and I also think there's another another level to go with him right you know he could play a completely different match against Stefano Tsitsipas where he just wipes him out because he's freaking Novak Djokovic
0: yeah I mean sometimes this is the thing that I think people I guess under analyze with Djokovic or at least incorrectly analyze there's a lot more to him there's a lot more mental games happening. There's a lot of things. He's just messing around sometimes. People are like, oh, why is he going to that drop shot? It's like, because he can What do you mean? Like, he can't. He can still win points, and it's like, whether it's practice to him or fun or just simply sporting, like, he can do whatever he wants. And so that's why sometimes it's a bit frustrating. It's like, oh, man, why is he doing that? It's like, because he knows that if he needs to, he can go back to the baseline, hit 30 balls, and then hit a winner eventually on a ridiculous shot and stretched out. I mean, he just can't. So... It's always interesting to see, you know, when people are concerned with Djokovic. For me, it's a completely different set of criteria, right? It's not if he's doing weird things with shot selection, because I can chalk that up to Djokovic being bored and wanting to make a blowout match somewhat interesting. You mentioned it. He can always find another gear, another way to play. So in this one, yeah, he was tested a bit more. You saw it in the frustration. You saw it in the mental games. He played with those injuries. But at the end of the day, it's Djokovic, and he's through.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's very, very fair. And yeah, we'll see him against Stefano Tsitsipas. That's a really fun match. We always want to see how these next-geners compete against the big three, a big four, and we will get to see that uh, for Stefano Pass against Novak Djokovic. But of course, those matches coming on Friday. On Thursday, we get our two women's semifinal matches. We get to see Petra Kvitova take on Sofia Kennan. Of course, we also get to see Iga Swiatek take on Nadia Prodoroska. Let's start with with the kenan Kavitova match, Jamie, because we've talked about it a little bit. Let's start. Uh, who do you want to make the case for? Do you want to tell me what the Kenan win looks like, or do you want to tell me what the Kvitova win looks like?
0: I'll do either. I'll defer to you. I don't care.
1: Give me what a Petra-Kvitova victory looks like.
0: Yeah, look, I think a Kavitova win is honestly the more straightforward one. You know, she's been the one... who She's been able to be so offensive and dictate play throughout the rest of the tournament, and for her... For her to win, I mean, realistically, it looks the same, right? It's scripted in a very similar manner in which she's won these last matches, right? She has not dropped a set. She's really not going to be looking to change much. So you're going to see a lot of, you know, first strike tennis from her. The real question becomes, okay, if Sophia Kennan is able to answer all those questions, what is she going to do to change things up? Is she going to be able to find another way to win points? Because, look, if memory serves us, Kennan can... She can dig her way out of pretty much any hole. So I don't think this is going to be a match where Kvitova can just go out there, bang balls, and win from start to finish in an easy match. I just don't think... I think Kennan is going to be too resilient and too much of an obstacle for that. So I would say Kvitova, she's going to have her plan A, I think she's going to to have some stretches of phenomenal play where she's able to pressure the Kennan serve while she'll get some breaks, while she'll have some really easy holds. But I think she's going to have to turn to another play style uh, and open up a different playbook sometimes. So whether that's coming to the net more and putting a different type of pressure on Kennan, you know, I'm not sure exactly what that will look like. But to me, if Kvitova wins this, it's got to be really clean offense from the start. And and ultimately, Kennan can't have one of her you know classic change the rhythm of everything and just mess up an opponent because we know that she can do that with whether it's throwing in drop shot lob combos or simply you know playing some junk ball Kvitova is going to have to watch out so I think for me it's just going to have to be all offense from Kvitova until Kennan starts to uh, make the tide switch essentially
1: Yeah, I think that's a good point. And, yeah, I agree with you. When Kvitova executes her plan A, we know what that looks like. I think you sort of mentioned it for Sofia Kennan. The key is going to be getting Petra Kvitova out of her strike zone. The key is going to be to play with variety. Go, excuse me, slice, go down the line, go highly elevated shots over the net that just buy you time and slow things down, and she's also going to have to be moving forward, she's going to have to make first serves, because if you're floating second serves to Petra Kvitova on return, and she can hit a first forehand, as we've seen all tournament, now she's got control of the point, now she's playing her A game, she's playing to her tactics, and it's just very hard to beat Petra Kvitova when a match is on her racket, but Kennan does possess this sort of variety, to. Get Kvitova stretched to the outer thirds. And if you're Sophia Kennan, that's where this match has to be played. It has to be played in the outer thirds. And of course, that creates more margin for error for yourself. But if you're playing down the center against Petra Kvitova, you're losing this match. And so, of course, you know, first serve percentage for both of these players is going to be so critical because whichever one of them has more success taking control of points on second serve, whichever one gets more opportunities for, uh, to do that is obviously going to be able to create break chances for themselves now you know you look at their match history Jamie this is the third career head-to-head matchup they've played twice before Kvitova beat Kennan in three sets in Miami in 2018 she beat her in straight sets one in four in Madrid in 2019 let's get to a prediction who you got in this one
0: (sighs) this is tough I want Kvitova to win but I just really like the matchup from the Kennan side um, I think obviously Kvitova has looked so good, but she has yet to face a real test. And, and again, this could be me overanalyzing that because even if you put a couple seeds in front of her, she still wins in straights. I don't know. But to me, this is going to be a big jump in level and an opponent. Um, and, and that I think could throw Kvitova off. So let me go Kennan in a tight one. Uh, I look, I wish I could take a bit of it. I just don't feel confident in it. So I'm going to go with Sophia Kennan to win it.
1: Kvitova, a slight favorite tomorrow on DraftKings. I believe she's like minus 150 to like or to Kennon's 120. And, you know, another thing worth mentioning Kvitova, the lefty, Kenan, the righty, the Kennan backhand is a thing of beauty. And so, you know, she is not going to be overwhelmed by the Kvitova forehand pace on that wing. You know, for my aces of the day, I said I'm staying away from this money line, but I think this match is going to be a battle. So I actually have two aces in on this match. One of them, the over 20 and a half game. I just think even if this is straight sets, 7-5, 6-4, like it could be that sort of battle, and even if it's 7-5, 6-3, that sort of bet covers, and so I took the over 20.5, and And like you, Sophia Kennan's played four of her five matches, gone the distance, uh, have gone three sets, I don't know why this one would be any different, even if Kvitova Blitzes Kennan in a first set. You know Kennan's going to bring out the slices, the lobs, make the match physical. I also think if Kennan wins the first set, Petra Kvitova is not going anywhere. She'll double down, she'll buckle in, she'll make the match a battle. I just think overs are the play in this one, and so I took the over twenty and a half and the over two and a half sets. But like you, I do think I lean slightly towards Sofia Kennan in three. Although again, it, it, the first serve percentage will be the all-revealing stat. If Kvitova is playing plus one tennis and in control it's just impossible to beat her
0: yeah well we'll have to see I mean if Kvitev is comfortable Kennan's in a lot of trouble here but I think the one thing that Kennan can do to anybody is make them incredibly uncomfortable so as long as she makes this not a straight up contest and as we've said just you know a game to 21 from the ground I I think I think she's gonna be in good shape
1: you like those aces or not
0: yeah I like the aces I I think it's gonna be competitive and and you mentioned what was the line at 20 and a half
1: yeah 20 and a half
0: That's that's not bad at all. I mean, I think even then what a a two and six results still gets you the over. um, And that seems really feasible to me. So, um, look, I, I think that's a solid one.
1: Yeah, and the 20.5 games minus 125, the over 2.5 sets plus 140. So hopefully both hit tomorrow. And of course, you can go hear more about our aces on our GSP Ace of the Day podcast or video. Uh, Let's move to match number two now. Jamie Svjantek taking on Podoroska. Obviously, both players so impressive. And had I told you this would be the semifinal matchup before the tournament, again, you would have been like, Alex, come on. Let's have serious takes on the podcast. Stop messing around. Uh, But we are in for a battle. Both players have looked so good here at this event of course. For Sviantek, she's coming off of a straight set win over Trevisan. She's also beaten Halep, Bouchard, C, and Marketa Van in this tournament. For Podoroska, she's beaten Svitolina, Krejcikova, Smladova, Putinseva, Minin, and she went, uh, she's come through qualifying, I should say, the first to come through qualifying in French Open history on the women's side to reach the semifinals. Jamie, what do you think this match looks like? You make the Sviantek case, and I'm going to make the Podoroska case.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, I think Shriantek comes into this a heavy favorite. I think the fact that she just played Trevisan and won convincingly, and then before that Halep, Shriantek knows how to win these matches when her opponent is being really steady, and she has to be the aggressor, right? She, She knows that role very well, and she has performed very well both in the fourth round and the quarter. And so I think if she wrangles control of all of these rallies, or at least most of them, you know, if Podoroska is on her heels, Svantec, barring something where she just suddenly stops executing the way she has, I think Svantec is going to cruise through this match. I mean, look, between Halep and Trevisan, she only dropped, what, seven combined games? I mean, that's ridiculous. So at this point, I have no reason to doubt Svantec. And I think for me, it's just a lot of control, um, and she's going to be able to dictate play both on the serve and return. I would expect her to be able to get a lot of breaks of serve and then just ride that momentum out.
1: Yeah, look, I think the thing that I've learned about Nadia Podoroska, if you do not have a weapon to hurt her with, she's going to get to get into all of her plays. She's going to be able to change direction, throw in drop shot, go down the line and you know move forward. And she's also so comfortable moving on the clay. I think you have to have a weapon to disrupt her rhythm, to make her uncomfortable. Otherwise, she's fine making a match a track meet But I just love, you know, I think for Podoroska, that's what it looks like. It's tracking down that extra ball. It's putting in just a seed, planting a seed of doubt in Shvantec's head that, you know, maybe I shouldn't be moving forward as frequently. Maybe I need to be a little bit more patient at the net and try and turn this match into a grind. And if you do that against Podoroska on clay, you're just in trouble. But... To your point, it's just the way Sviantek attacks you. She moves forward, she changes direction. She is a good mover for her size as well—about five foot ten—but seems pretty fluid around the court. I think this match is going to be, you know, a close one. I think it's going to be a three and four or a four and five type affair. But I am leaning Sviantek as well. You think that sounds about right, or you think it's going to be a little bit more lopsided?
0: I think it's going to be more one-sided. Um, I-, I don't have any reason to doubt Sviantek at this point. I, I think. Look, the the one and two result over Halep speaks volumes. Uh, that to back that up with another convincing win over somebody who's shown a lot of comfort on this surface, I, I just don't see how. I, I, don't, I don't see how she just continues to break. And unless Podolski can do something to really disrupt the Shvantek service game, I, I, unless they're being able to trade breaks, I don't see a world where Shvantek isn't getting consistent breaks in this match. And so for that reason, I think she could run away with sets with at least two breaks in each.
1: Yeah, I just, you know, I don't worry about nerves at all for either of these players. Truth be told, I think they're both swinging so freely. The way Sviantek went down early in her semifinal, then bounced back so quickly, that was so impressive. I just agree. I think Sviantek's playing better, and I think the better tennis player is going to win this match. And Podorowska has been incredible, but I just think Sviantek is the first player she's come across who's really got the weapons to hurt her, who's got the game, aggressive game style uh, to take the ball out of Podoroska, you know, off her racket, out of her control, and so I do think it's going to be close, but I do think Sviantek takes it in straight sets, and of course, Sviantek a heavy favorite by the money line, but I threw her into a parlay, Jamie, with your favorite, a couple, uh, a challenger match in this one. Here is the parlay I have for tomorrow. Minus 110 odds I'm throwing Sviantec on the money line. And I'm mixing her with Federico Delbonis, the number four seed in Parma this week. He takes on Paolo Lorenzi. They've played eight times in their career, three and five head to head matchup. But Lorenzi, Jamie, or excuse me, Delbonis, Jamie, won the last five matches. Lorenzi hasn't beaten him since 2012. I just think the lefty Delbonis going into that one handed backhand on the clay. I like him now. Late money have pushed the odds down for Delbonis. But I like this parlay. You like this uh, one for Ace of the Day?
0: I don't mind that. I mean, Lorenzi has not looked great thus far. I mean, he lost in qualies in Rome, then he lost in qualies in the French. You know, then we saw him, you know, lose the round of 32 in the Challenger not long ago in straight sets, even though he was, you know, the five seed in that. I, I just. I haven't been too happy with the Lorenzi performances as of late. So, yeah, I don't see why I'd bet on him now. Granted, as soon as we say something like that, a a veteran of the tour knows how to flip the script. But Delbonis, I I feel like he has great odds to win this match.
1: Yeah, if this match was an ATP 250 match, I'd feel way more confident because it's on, you know, Lorenzi's home turf of the challenger circuit. It makes me a little bit nervous. I'm not going to lie. But uh, some really fun matches tomorrow. Poporin versus Muller, Kruger versus Vicovich. Cole Schreiber versus vs. Del Delbonis, Lorenzi. Of course, those are the action in Parma today. We saw Francis Tiafo knock out talented young Italian Lorenzo Musetti in three sets. He's going to take on Filippo Baldi in the quarterfinals tomorrow. Salvatore Caruso, Laszlo Jure joining them there in Barcelona. I'm not going to lie, today's ace of the day, I wanted it to be Munar plus, uh, I believe, uh, Fasundo Bagnes plus who, uh, Kvitova, but I couldn't find Munar's odds on DraftKings and Kvitova. My Draft Kings. Let's throw that on there. But uh, Moonar today, a winner. He's going to take on Colorini in the quarterfinals on uh, Friday. Of course, Jean Vierde, Zoom, her already advancing there. Some other guys in action. Young, talented Spaniard, Carlos Elcaraz. Uh, you've got Dimitri Popko, Christian uh, Christopher O'Connell, Flesundo Bagnus. Again, Challenger Circuit rocking and rolling, Jamie. For anyone who's worried, only two singles matches on the day, livestream.com slash ATP. It's going to be rocking and rolling from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m
0: and let's not forget about the men's doubles matches as well there's going to be there's still plenty of tennis to be played look it's not like the second day where you can look and there's just matches everywhere you turn you got to go out and hunt for them a bit more but i promise when you do you'll find good stuff
1: Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. Well then, with that in mind, of course, if you have missed any of the action in Paris you want to catch up before Championship Weekend is upon us, be sure to turn to our website, correctrackets.com, where you can find the links for this podcast, the Great Shot Podcast, Cracked Interviews, and Inside Out Podcast. Of course, you can find the good take, bad take, hot takes Jamie and I did recapping the first eight-ish days of action in Paris on our YouTube channel. You can also find it on the Great Shot Podcast feed. You need those more. Or immediate updates Twitter Instagram Facebook YouTube or at cracked rackets you want to message me I'm at great shot pod shout out as always to our super producers Max flager and Daniel Westoff for the f- of an editing job they do day in day out shout out as well to our friends over at Midwest Sports and Aerobar go to midwestsports.com use that promo code cr15 go to aerobar.com use that promo code cracked 15 with that in mind Jamie any final thoughts on day 12 11 11 of this French open?
0: Is it eleven or is it twelve now? It's is it, eleven because it, it tomorrow
1: because tomorrow's twelve, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. Okay, yeah. I'm always just I'm always looking for the day ahead because when we're talking about the aces of the day and the previews, it's okay. for day twelve. But look, day eleven was a lot of fun. Um, day twelve, let's hope it's even more fun.
1: I tweeted out my poll what was more surprising in the US Open or French Open semifinals. Took me three takes because I put Djokovic versus P C B, then I put Djokovic versus team, then I finally put Djokovic versus C T Pass for the French open matchup. So yeah, that's where my brain is at as well. But I agree with you, Jamie, with that in mind for my wonderful co-host james falster mcdonald our super producers max Flinger and daniel westoff our friends at midwest sports and aerobar and all of us here at both Crack rackets and the tennis channel podcast network i'm your host alex and jamie what do we tell the people that's a break and we will see you all tomorrow thanks everyone